morning, Grace. It is so good to be here to see everybody again. I had to ask my wife what time church started. It's been a while since I've been here. I'm glad I made it on time. Uh, but as, oh, scripture, I'll give you that, and then I'll tell you all about stuff, right? We're in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Romans 9, 1 to 5. Romans chapter 9, starting in verse 1. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this chance to come on fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, a chance to worship you, a chance to remind ourselves who you are, and a chance to learn a little bit more about you. Lord, I pray that you would bless the rest of our service today. Be with those who are sick and at home. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would just draw close to them. Let them feel your presence. Bring them peace today, Lord. Lord, encourage, the, encourage us all today and, and move us into our week coming forward, Lord, so that we may act out your gospel for each and every one who would witness us. Lord, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. quite as you've been all morning, <laughs> which is a good thing. I enjoy hearing the people of God speak. What great joy it is. We come to a confusing part of the book of Romans. Some view it some commentators, anyway, view it as a parenthesis, sort of a added on, if you will, or a second thought of the Apostle Paul. Many skip and don't even bother doing 9, 10, and 11 because they like to go from right from chapter 8 all the way up to chapter 12, which begins, therefore... I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That sort of runs pigeon-toe, if you will, with Romans chapter 8, which it says, who can separate us from the love of God? Nobody. Therefore, present yourselves. But I think there's a mission here in chapter 9, 10, and 11. Because up to this chapter, the Apostle Paul has been introducing 
grace. He's been seeking and speaking about sin, and the only answer for sin is in Jesus Christ by salvation. Whereby even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God loved us. That was his plan. And so there's the hint that maybe someone was thinking in the church at Rome, someone might have been considering the fact that, well, God is done with the nation of Israel. And so why don't we just go on with the church? I want to offer to you, at least for today, a different perspective on that. We're, we're talking about, and this may be a new term to some of you, and I'll try to explain it as best I can. We're talking about dispensations. We presently are in what's called the dispensation of grace. It is the way that God is working through, if you will, history of the world. It's where the church has been established. The dispensation of grace in the church began in Acts chapter 2, when God sent forth the Holy Spirit and anointed, if you will, the disciples and all those in the upper room, and then Peter began to preach concerning the church. So the church had its inauguration in the book of Acts, and we are still experiencing that. But there's going to be a time of when the church is going to be taken out. Not killed, by the way. Sometimes we use that term, we're going to take you out. No, no, God's going to take us home. Can I get an amen from some of you this morning? And so then from that point on, it changes the whole world system is going to change. If you don't believe me, read beginning in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. When Christ breaks the first seal, all of a sudden, it's all new. God is pouring out his wrath for seven years on the earth. The church is not here, but the Jews are. And that's where I believe that the Apostle Paul is getting at. He doesn't talk about the tribulation period time, but he does remind us that God is not finished with the nation of Israel because during the time of what is called the tribulation period, seven year tribulation, the, the nation of Israel is going to be put back into its original design. They were to be the witnesses of God on this earth. And unfortunately, they turned their back on God. And Jesus Christ, they turned their back on Jesus Christ. But God's not finished with them. He has yet a plan for them. We're only going to cover the first five verses this morning. And then you're going to have to wait for another whole month for me to finish chapter 9. Wednesday, I go in... And they're going to put me a new knee in me. That has been moved up two weeks. Friday, I'm in my office and I get a call from Sabrina. None of you know who she is, but she's the one who schedules surgeries for Dr. Parrish, who's going to do my knee surgery. I was originally scheduled for the 16th of March. And she called me on Friday and said, hey, uh, we had a cancellation 
Would you be willing to have your knee replaced on the 2nd of March? I said, let me think about that for a second. Yes, <laughs> that will work. And so Friday, my wife and I, we made some mad dashes to get all the pre-op stuff and everything finished. And, and so this Wednesday, I will be under the knife, not taken out, by the way, but hopefully just having a knee replaced. And so my son, who is going to handle the rest of chapter 9, he'll be speaking on the sovereignty of God. I thought I'd get a better reaction than having <laughs> people. But um, he'll, be, he'll be preaching, and we, we may even have an opportunity to have uh, some others here to also lighten his load as far as coming and speaking to us. But with all that being said, I'll be away for four weeks. I won't be allowed, I can't even drive for four, they said six weeks. How do they know? <laughs> How do they know? If you've ever ridden with my wife, you would say, huh, how do they know? <laughs> no, no, she's a good driver. <laughs> she's good proof. She tells me how to drive all the time. So, <laughs> so she's a good driver. She's a good driver. Romans chapter 9. The first thing that we are awakened to, this chapter, is, this five verses are divided into two sections. First, we see the Apostles Paul's yearning for the salvation of the nation of Israel. In this particular first three verses, we sense his heart and his passion. We sense his desire to have the Israelites come to know the same Christ that he knows. In fact, he, he even said that if it would be able, he would be willing to virtually go to and suffer the extremities of hell in order that none of his countrymen would have to. Have you ever thought about putting yourself in that same kind of a position for somebody else? Have you ever thought that God, what, what's it gonna take for my best friend, your aunt or your uncle, cousins, family member, God, what's it gonna take for them to understand that Jesus Christ is the answer. He's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It is in him and him alone that salvation can even be granted to someone who by grace through faith would just believe. What's it gonna take? Paul doesn't ask that question, but I can see in his remarks that as Pastor Steve read this passion, I can see in his remarks of his passion that he would be willing to do anything in order for his countrymen to come and understand and know 
the grace of Jesus Christ. Sort of like what Moses prayed in Exodus chapter 32. When you go back to the book of Exodus 32, you'll find out that that's where they, the nation of Israel made a golden calf. Because Moses was up on the mountain getting the, the law from God. And as he came down, he saw that molded calf and he cried out to God for the nation. And, and this is what he said in verse 30, chapter 32, verse 32. He said, now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if not, please erase me from the book you've written. We, we can't understand fully that kind of a statement. We, we've never been in a position, we've never been placed in a situation we, where we would ask God to remove me in order for someone else to come to know Christ. Someone else to experience what it is to be forgiven by God. If I can just take a, just a couple seconds here, because I, I want to encourage teenagers today. I, I know it's easy. It's, it's, it's part of society. I understand that. I was a teenager once, good Lord, near on, over 50 years ago. But I understand what it is to like somebody. It's halfway between like and love. It's called loke. When you loke somebody. But are you willing to even share with that individual, whether it is guy and a girl or girl and a guy, are you willing to even take the chance to talk to them about Jesus? If you really respected them, if you really loked them, then I challenge you to take the time to talk to them about the Savior that you have. Don't get caught into a relationship that you find out you don't know how they feel. You don't know what they're thinking. Make sure that you know that they know. Enough said. That's what Paul would encourage you to do. I think that's the thrust of the first three verses. Are we really willing to step forward and take an opportunity to be that intense in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with our neighbors, our co-workers? Does our heart bleed for the souls of people? Do we even weep for their concern, wondering where are they in the plan of God? Do we come before the throne and refuse to let go, if you will, of the very throne legs of God's throne and won't let go until we get an answer. 
That's the heartbeat of Paul. He's designing and he's going to describe for us in the next three chapters. No, God isn't finished with them. There's still a plan for them. Verse 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul lists eight blessings that God has given to the nation of Israel. And at the top of that heading, you should write this statement. God is a God of fulfilling his promises. He will not forsake a promise. Many of us, or I should say, there are some in the realm of theological persuasion that are seeing all that is happening in the world today and they're wondering, is it now the time that Jesus is coming? Will he now, will the father turn to him and say, go get the children and bring them home? Is now the time that the promise of fulfilling of 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul talks about the taking out of the church, the parousia. Is this the time? Seeing the unrest, listening to sermons on YouTube that describe the battle of Gog and Magog. Is this the time? I don't know. What's fantastic about that is that Jesus even said, I don't know the day, nor the hour. That's reserved for the Father. But yet, no, God is the God of promise. He's promised us a day when tungsten steel does not make it through the halls of heaven. He's promised us a day where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow. He'll wipe every tear from our eyes. So powerful is that time that the sun and the stars and the moon don't even need to show up because Jesus is the light of the world. He's promised a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, that which is not in any way hampered by the forces of darkness of sin. The most beautiful sunset, the most wonderful sunrise that we can even begin to imagine here on this earth is going to pale into what? Heaven is going to be like. You remember in chapter 8, the Apostle Paul said that the sufferings that we have now aren't even worthy to be compared of the glory that we will see. To be able to see Jesus and Miss Judy's mom passed away on Wednesday evening. She had a, a, a long battle with Alzheimer's. I know that Judy and Brian and 
Judy's sisters were concerned about that, specifically after the Lord removed their dad from this earth. But it's that kind of time of when, even though maybe Judy's mom may have forgotten something about Jesus, but isn't it great to know that Jesus never forgot about her? Her mind is totally transformed to where everything she lost has been found. And she got to see Jesus. When that massive stroke put her in a coma, she opened her eyes in glory and she saw Jesus. That's a great promise. And the eight promises that God has given to the nation of Israel, he will not forsake. For if he forsakes one of them, then how can we even come to John chapter 3 and verse 16 and believe that maybe God might remove that also? And so these covenants, these promises that are listed here for us in verses 4 and 5, are that precious because God has not forgotten his people. The first one that's listed is adoption. It's called the adoption was a a natural and pertained to the whole nation of Israel, not separate individuals. You might remember from Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, where God is speaking to Moses, and Moses is taking that information to Pharaoh. And God says that the nation of Israel is my son, my firstborn son. That preciousness that God has determined. That of all the nations of the world, he chose one of the smallest, the weakest, and one without a leader. They were captive for 400 years in Egypt. And God sent Moses to bring them out. And God says, I've not forgot my promise. You're my son. It's the kind of promise that he made to Abraham when he said, look to the stars. Count them if you can. That's how big a family you're going to have. It's the kind of promise that he made to Abraham when he said, all of the earth will be blessed because of you. God doesn't forget his promises. They were, the nation of Israel was adopted, and it's never recorded in the scriptures, nor is in any other place where God has made the statement of a nation being his son. Only Israel. No, they're not forsaken. They may be wandering, but they're not forsaken. And the second thing the apostle Paul reminds us is the glory They they had the glory of God. 
This particular glory was the very physical presence of God, both in the tabernacle and in the temple. So dynamic is that glory that it was the same glory that led the children of Israel through the wilderness. It protected them from enemies. It guided them as they stepped. It provided for them. It was this glory that even Moses, it says in Exodus 40 and verse 35, that he was not able to enter the tent of the congregation because the cloud of God's presence abode there and it was consumed. It's a kind of the glory that the Isaiah writes about when he sees that the whole earth is full of his glory. It's a kind of glory that Isaiah writes about that shakes the foundations of the earth. And it fills all of heaven with his presence. The nation of Israel was the only one that could see the presence of God face to face. The church doesn't get that. And we have something else. We have him who is called Holy Spirit. He he resides in us. His presence is in us. But it's not like being able to go into a church service and have it so lit up that we can't enter because it's God's in there. They got the glory. The third one is the covenants. It's listed as the covenants. The covenants of God. There are so many of them. Many of them God has already carried out. But some of them still need to be fulfilled. He spoke to Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant. Which concerned the land. That all of Israel would have this land. He he spoke to David. That there would be a king from his line who would always rule the nation of Israel. He spoke to Moses. Gave him what we call the law. The covenant that God had with his people. God didn't give that to anybody else. Only to the nation of Israel. Some of them have already been fulfilled because Jesus Christ came through the line of David. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And one day he is going to sit on his father David's throne and rule this earth. Oh, how I'd hoped that would be beginning tomorrow. We got to wait seven years for that. But after that, I can't even begin to imagine 
what a thousand years is going to be like with Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. He's presently sitting on the throne next to his father in glory. But when he comes to this earth, all nations will come and bow before him as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2. Every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The next one is the law. They got the law. As we've gone through the book of Romans, we can see the the conflict between grace and law. We understand that the Apostle Paul never once said that the, the law is finished. It's still good because God gave it. No, that's why we have, even in our own country, if not in the whole world, we have laws that stipulate the fact that thou shalt not steal. Unless you're in California, if you spend under $99.99, it's okay. Not in God's economy. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not covet. Those things have not changed. It's amazing that even nations who have never heard the name of God uphold those particular laws because they're written in the heart of mankind. Nations that have been found in the deepest parts of jungles realize that even they have laws that shadow the law of God. They were given the service of God. This has to do with the worship in the temple and in the tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6, God says, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. They were to be the ones who would lead the world in the worship of our great God. God even chose from all of the nation a tribe, the tribe of Levi, that was to be the ones who led and performed all of the worship in the tabernacle and in the temple. They were to serve God. The next one is that they were also given the promises. The promises of God. And some of those promises go along or correlate, if you will, in Joshua 1 and verse 2, where God says to Joshua, My servant Moses is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and the people, unto the land which I do give to them ever as to the children of Israel. They were to possess the land. And if I may just take a couple moments here to say this, it's not my land. 
That's not anybody else's land, but Israel. Palestine belongs to Israel. It's their land. Well, we'll get to that a little bit later. The next one is they had the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were the ones who through the whole development of the nation of Israel came through. Whenever you see in the scriptures a mention of the nation of Israel, it's always associated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the patriarchs of the nation of Israel. And lastly, as the Apostle Paul makes mention of in verse 5, And from them, by physical descent, came Christ, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, took on the form of flesh, that he may suffer, bleed, and die, to pay my price my penalty for my sin, to pay your penalty for your sin. He came as a gift from God. He came as a demonstration of who God is when Thomas asked him, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said in translation of Greek, it's right here. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. We are the same essence. And Jesus Christ came through the nation of Israel to be the Savior of the world. But he is going to be the reigning king of Israel at a time. Has God forgotten Israel? No. No. As we get into the later verses of chapter 9, 10, 11, it'll become clear what the Apostle Paul is teaching about God's plan for the nation of Israel. Exciting days ahead. We are concerned about the war that is in Ukraine. Russian soldiers, specialized killers, have been given names, pictures, and lists of individuals that are to be wiped out. But I believe God's going to intervene. I, I don't know what God's plan for all of this is going to be. 
But I do know this. It's pointing to a promise that I can't wait to be a part of. Jesus Christ is coming. Are you ready to meet him? I'm talking about as sure as you're sitting here. Do you know that you'll stand before him as a forgiven sinner? Or are you even here this morning even doubting that God's done with you? Oh, dear brothers and sisters, be like the Apostle Paul. God's not done yet. And if I can say this with all due respect, the best is yet to come in Jesus Christ. Can we please stand for the benediction? Thank you.